Good morning, CBF. Hope you all are doing great. We are nearing almost 50th day of the lockdown and it seems that it might take few more weeks before we all can come together under one roof and praise and worship our Lord. But what a privilege it has been. For the last few weeks, we have been connected through technology and we are taking this opportunity to still praise our God, still worship our God. And my prayer this morning is as uh, that we all can spend some time in the Word of God and learn some life lessons that could be really helpful in our relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the days ahead. Many a times, the word Christianity in our life is practically reduced to nothing. The word Christian is made so little that sometimes it sounds very shallow. The problem is that we have lost the essence of what it really means to be the people of Christ. The result is that we start living life through the motions. And for many of us, it becomes very mechanical. The Christian relationship becomes very mechanical. Now, I'm very sure in CBF, as I say this, many of you can relate to this. Now, I want you to think back. Remember the time when you were first saved? Remember the excitement, the energy, the passion that you had for the Lord? Remember all that emotion that you had? But over a period of time, these emotions start diminishing with seasons. Our Christian life becomes more mechanical and there is no real relationship left with the Lord. There is no longer love involved. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is, many of us, including me, sometimes we grow cold in our relation with our Savior. Now, these days, when I talk to a lot of young people, they have this notion that Christian life is all about how God loves me. It's about how God can fulfill their desires, how God can fulfill their dreams, how God can fulfill their ambition, how God can fulfill their objectives. That's all the focus is. And I'm very sure God will help in each of these aspects. But Christian life is much more than this. Christian life is about loving Christ. It's, loving, it's about loving Him exceptionally. It's about loving Him totally. It's about loving Him sacrificially. It's about loving Him obediently. We all have idols in our life, don't we? We don't do idol worship, but we do have idols in our life. And these idols actually ambush us. These are the affection for other things in our life that capture our heart, mind and soul. And if we are not careful, brothers and sisters, please listen. And if we are not careful, the secondary things that we are surrounded with can become the most primary focus of our life. You getting it? The secondary things that we do can actually become the primary focus of our life. And the primary can become the secondary. We all love the processes of our Christianity. We all love how much or how well our performance is in the various ministries that we do. We all fall in love with the pragmatics associated with the things that we are doing. But if we are not careful, the things that we are doing can strip us away from having any authentic relationship with our Savior. In the Old Testament, the great commandment was to love your God with all your heart, all your soul, mind and strength. Being a child of God is about loving God. You love Him so much that you want to know Him more. Every day you desire to know Him more. Every day you get up, you love Him so that you want to exalt Him more. You love Him so you want to please Him more. You love Him so you want to serve Him more. 
You love him so that you want to be with him. You love him that every time you go out and you meet another person, you want to share about this love to that person. It's about this overwhelming, consuming affection for Christ that I'm talking about. Today morning, however, I would like to take your attention to the passage uh, from the scripture that talks about one of the greatest churches mentioned in the Bible. But this church that I'm going to talk to you about failed to understand this aspect of true Christianity, the aspect of loving God. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 to 7. The letter to the church of Ephesus is a, was a timely reminder to all the churches back in the time and is also a timely reminder to all of us, all the churches now and all the members of the churches that forsaking your first love, letting go of your first love, abandoning your first love is actually great sin in the eyes of the Lord. And he will hold you accountable for that. There are going to be consequences for this. Today morning, let's look at some of the important principles that we can draw from this passage while keeping the key theme in our mind that is recapturing our first love. Let's read Revelation 2 verses 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered, you have endured hardship for my name and you have not grown weary. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. Repent and do things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But I have this in your favor. You hate the practice of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The city Ephesus was actually one of the most renowned cities of that time. It was one of the great cities of Western Asia Minor because of its massive political influence and also a lot of economic and religious activities. In fact, it was the most strategic place for the major trades back in the day. It was not just the trades and the economic activities, but it also boasted, the city also boasted one of those wonders of the ancient world. The great temple was dedicated to the fertility goddess Artemis. Along with this, Ephesus also had a major emperor cult. Many temples were dedicated for emperor worship. Historians say there were huge number of eunuchs present, priestesses present, and prostitution was at the all-time high. They also say that the worship pattern of the so-called gods was utter madness. There was drunkenness inside the temple, there was sexual deviation, there was a lot of immoral things, activities that happened inside the temple. In fact, one of the historians say that the morals of the church, or sorry, the morals of the temple was actually worse than the morals of the animals. You're getting it? The, the things that were happening inside the temple morally was worse than the morals that we see among the animals. It was among this pagan culture. There was this church, church of Ephesus, which had 
great history in itself. In fact, when this is written, church is almost 40 years old. The church of Ephesus was actually founded by Paul and he had a great influence in the establishment of the church. And we read this in Acts chapter 18, 19 and some bits of 20 as well. The church was spiritually very strong. In fact, Paul in his third missionary journey spent a significant amount of time with the church, teaching them, mentoring them, discipling them. The church had a great history to boast of. They didn't just have association with Paul, but also with Timothy and later with John as well. Not just this church was well taught, but they also had a great testimony to boast of. In fact, I'm reminded of one of the stories when Paul uh, was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people of Ephesus. They were so convicted, the people who heard the gospel were so convicted that they left their idol worship. The first thing that they did was to get all the idols from their home and they destroyed it. And not just that, they stopped buying idols from the market. What was the result? The sales of this idol uh, uh, shopkeepers went down drastically and they were agitated. They were like, they cannot survive with this. So they took action against Paul and they all went against Paul and Paul had to run out of Ephesus for some period of time. This was their history. And imagine the church in the middle of all this. The church was growing. The church was flourishing. Because there were a group of men and women in the church who were not scared from proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ to the city of Ephesus. Now here is the important thing that I would like you to pay attention to. The important thing is here. Any church with a great history in the past does not guarantee that they will have great spiritual maturity and close relationship with God in the present. Did you hear me? Any church with a great history in the past does not guarantee them that they will have great spiritual maturity and close relationship with God in the present. Even now, CBF has almost two decades of history. There are few people in CBF who have been there from right from the inception of CBF. You go and talk to them, they will tell you how the CBF has grown. Right from the time gathering in a gymnasium to now gathering to one of the good uh, air-conditioned halls, how the people came, how the people left, all the ups and downs, they would share all those things with you. But now today when we look at CBF, our own church, everything on the surface might look good. But still, I believe some of us in CBF might be struggling and might be on the brink of fall by not living a life which loves Christ all in all. I know this sounds very pretty basic. This is one of the simple aspects. Hey Ben, we love Christ. Yeah, we all love Christ. We are Christian. We love Christ. But what is it about loving Christ? For them, when I talk to people, people have more concern about how much God loves them. You see, the aspect of God loving us is completely fixed. That's not going to change. He has already shown his great love to us. When he sent his only begotten son to die for our stead on the cross, Christ suffered for you and me, my dear brothers and sisters. He died on the cross. He took all our shame, all our sin, and he died on the cross. And he rose again on the third day. You see, Christ showed his love on the cross, and that is fixed. That's not going to change. The question here today I'm going to ask is, our love for Christ, 
Are we consistent in our love for Christ? Or are we struggling? Or have we grown cold in our love, or in our relationship with our Savior? Let's dive into the letter to the Church of Ephesus and learn some of the key insights. This morning, I have three key insights for all of you. And I would like you to pay attention. These are very simple. And uh, I hope we can take back something today which can make some changes, which will, which will help us in making some changes in our life. First, Christ is the center of the church and showing his presence, authority, and interest. Christ is the center of the church, showing his presence, authority, and interest. Let's look at verse 1. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Christ is introduced as someone who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The picture of Christ is a symbolic rep representation of the fact that Christ holds the messengers of these churches in his right hand and provides sovereign protection over them. Not just the protection, we also need to understand that he has the divine authority over the church. John is making it very clear that not just he is in midst of the seven churches that's mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3, not just Christ is not just present in the midst of the church, but he is also among he's also walking among them. Absolutely nothing can escape from his notice. He is aware of every thought, every intention, every motive of the church. So even if a church has a great history, the thing that we need to keep remembering or reminding ourselves is there is absolutely no need, uh, room for pride in our life. Uh, no church can say they have pride because after all, it is only Christ who is sovereign over everything. You know, I'm reminded of Paul. Paul uses the word head for describing role of Christ in the church. In Colossians 1.18, if you turn with me to Colossians 1.18, and it says that, uh, and he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Paul makes it very clear and he makes it unquestionably clear that Christ has the ultimate authority in the church. Beside being the Lord, beside being the creator, he is also the head of the church and we need to remember that. And if he is the head of the church, my dear brothers and sisters, then we ought to submit to him. In Ephesians 5, Paul reminds the people that we as church needs to submit to the Christ, submit to Christ, the authority of Christ, and we need to be inclined to follow his leadership. So if he is the head and if we need to submit, we also need to remember that he is the source of our growth. First Corinthians chapter 3. Turn with me to First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and seven it says that i planted the seed apollos watered it but god made it grow so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only god who makes things grow only god who makes things grow god is the source of our growth you cannot become spiritually mature by trying really hard and you leave christ out of the equation 
as you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, my dear brothers and sisters, and as you read the Bible, as you pray, as you tell people about Christ, remember, it is God is at work in you. It is not your own doing. It is God who is at work in you, producing the fruitfulness and maturity in you. What a great reminder it is to all of us in Sivir that Christ is the head of the church. Christ is in the center of the church. Christ walks among us. And we need to submit to Christ this morning. We need to submit to his sovereign authority. And any growth that we see in CBF, we can only credit God for that growth. Christ is among us. Christ walks amongst us. Second, Christ commends the church for its right belief and right behavior. Christ commends the church for its right belief and right behavior. Verses 2 and 3. Revelation verses 2 and 3. And we read that, I know that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and you have not grown weary. Here we read that Christ is commending the church of Ephesus for some good things that they have been doing. Christ compliments the church for the good deeds, the toil, the hard work they went through. The Greek meaning to this word toil is labor to the point of exhaustion. Ephesians were, the church of Ephesians were diligent workers. They were not lazy. You know, in midst of the pagan worship and the darkness that surround them, they were aggressively evangelizing. They were edifying each other. They were caring for those in need. There was absolutely no sloth-like behavior present in the church of Ephesus. They kept themselves busy. They, they were caring for the sick. They were sheltering the homeless, they were feeding the hungry, they were caring for the widows and the orphans. They were doing hard work to the point of exhaustion. And Christ is saying, good job. Second thing Christ commends them is for their patience in the endurance of trials. They were very patient while they were going through the trials. And these trials were not just ordinary trials. The word means actually means endurance under extreme hardship. They were facing life-threatening challenges. There were possibilities uh, that was in front of them that had impossible odds. And the Ephesus Christians were actually faced with special challenges. Because they refused to bow the knees to the so-called gods that were there. Remember I told you about Ephesus as a city? They had Artemis God, the fertility goddess, and then they had the emperor worship. They refused to do all that. In fact, this church continued in its faithful service to God for more than 40 years. They were faithful servants. They were enduring the trials that were coming in front of them. And Christ is saying, good job. Third thing they have been commended for it was for their doctrinal discernment. We read that in verse 2, second part. And also in verse 6, verse 2, second part, I know that you cannot tolerate evil men and you have tested those, those who have claimed to be apostles but have not, and you have found them false. And verse 6 says that I have this in favor of you. You hate the practices of Nicolaitan, which I also hate. Apart from the great praiseworthy aspects that Christ is commending them, Christ is also saying you know the doctrine inside out. You are well taught. You refuse to tolerate even, uh, evil people. 
you are putting the so-called apostles to test. And when you find them wrong, you are telling them they are false prophets, they are false apostles, they are false teachers. And you took a stance against Nicolaitans, a strong group of false teachers that was active in the Ephesus at that time. They were immoral teachers. Yet you stood up against them. You had the right understanding of the doctrines at a such high level. It was not at a surface level. Their understanding of doctrines were such high level that they were able to discern what was false. He commends them for their right behavior and he commends them for the right belief. Now here is the problem. If you actually read about this, if you actually read this letter and you only read the first three verses, you will feel that the church of Ephesus has absolutely no problems. In fact, the Christ, in fact, Christ is commending them for so many good things. So what is the problem? So much of good things they are doing. What is the problem? Are they do not doing hard work? They are toiling themselves to the point of exhaustion. They are going through difficult times and they are still enduring the hardship. And then they have very good understanding of the doctrines that they are able to uh, discern that is that which is false. Super. Then what is the real problem? Let's turn to verse 4, first part. Yet I hold this against you. The word yet mentioned here actually shows strong contrast or emphasis and hence, the next words that what we are going to read has to be paid a lot of importance and should not be taken lightly. That brings us to the third and the final point. Christ rebukes that which is sin and do provide hope for the sinner. Christ rebukes that which is sin but do provide hope for the sinner. You know, let love usually grow cold when we take things for granted and when we start neglecting that which is in front of us. Here Jesus is saying, I have a problem with you, Church of Ephesus. I know that you're doing good things, but I have a serious problem with you. And the point that he's discussing is not a C minor issue. It's not a minor issue that I'm talking about. He's talking, I have a big problem with you. I, am, I have commended you for all the good things, the right behavior, the right beliefs, but I have a problem. You know what that problem is? Verse 4 says, you have forsaken your first love. You have left your first love. The love that's mentioned is the agape love. The deep sacrificial love. So Basically what it's saying is, you have left your deep sacrificial love for Christ and you're running behind everything else. In fact, this rebuke comes in as a contrast to what Paul talks about Ephesians in uh, you know almost 35 years back if you read ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 and 16 in fact paul is commending the church of ephesus for their faith in christ for the love that they had for christ not just that but also the love they had for the saints the fellow saints so paul is commending this church for the love aspect but 35 years down the line we see this letter to the church of Ephesus when they are condemned for the same aspect. What happened in 35 years? Can you relate? They have grown cold in their relationship. You have everything. The right beliefs, the right behavior. You're doing everything. You're spreading the gospel. You're doing everything. But one important thing you have left. 
you have left the love, your first love. You have abandoned your first love. You have forsaken your first love. Dear CPM, we have to be very careful. It's so easy that the secondary things can become the primary focus of our Christian life. The measure of your ministry is your manifestation of the communion with God and not the, your brilliance, not the talents that you have, not even your gifts. The eternal value to what you do, my dear brothers and sisters, springs forth from your relationship or your communion with your God alone. The church of Ephesus has the zeal for orthodoxy, but they had lost their love for Jesus. They showed up for Bible studies. They debated the heretics. They were doing everything right. But they lost their pure love for Christ. I just want to take one example here. You know, and imagine a scenario, and this most of the married people can relate to this. You know, when we when a husband, when a man and woman get married and they are in this marriage relationship, and the first two years is mostly the honeymoon period. We talk about right you're truly madly and deeply in love with each other then the life goes on and then you get into the routine and then after two years maybe uh, you get your kids in your life and then what happens you become so busy with the duties as parents and other activities with the job and and and, and other things that you're involved with the passion for each other starts getting colder and even before you realize that you start taking things for granted. You start taking things each other for granted. And then what happens is the entire marriage becomes more mechanical. You are just living in the motion. It's very mechanical. The same thing happened to the church of Ephesus as well. Everything became very mechanical for them. The true love, the genuine love, the essence of what it meant to be in Christ, actually it went off. The second thing that's mentioned is in verse 5. It says, remember, repent and redo. Remember, repent and redo. Let's read verse 5. It says that, remember the heights from which you have fallen. Repent and do things that you did at first. Remember, first remember. So often the spiritual declension comes from forgetting. You know, this new generation of Ephesus, uh, in the church of Ephesus, uh, knew most of the things, knew most of the orthodoxy, the things that they had to do. But knowledge of tradition did not give them the knowledge of having the intense love for Christ. You know, what here it says is remember. Do you remember who you are or who you were, in fact? Do you remember who delivered you? Second question. Do you remember the back in the time when God first awakened your soul? Do you remember the excitement you had when you were plucked out of darkness? Do you remember how joyful you were? Do you remember? Do you remember that you were once an orphan, but now you are an adopted son and daughter? Once you were a dead sinner, but now you are a resurrected saint in Christ. Once you were an enemy with the God, but now you are one with Christ. Do you remember? Once I heard this from a preacher and he said this, do not become cute in your ministry. 
Do not get so sophisticated in your ministry for God that you forget about the miracle of Calvary in your life. And when I think of it, it is so true. It is all about the gospel. It is the gospel that gives us authority to minister to others and do anything for Christ. And if we take out the gospel, if we take out the Christ from our life, then everything is meaningless, my dear brothers and sisters. John 8, 58. John 8, 58 says that, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham, I was. He's saying that he was before Abraham and he said he was, I am. He is God. Jesus Christ is God. He is the second person in Trinity. And we need to recognize that. We need to remember who God is, who saved us. Is the same God who was there at the creation, who existed before Abraham, who existed before everything. It is the same God who loves us. Then in John 10, 30, he says, I and my father are one. What a privilege we have that it is this God who takes care of us. But it's important for us to understand who we were. We were sinners. And Romans reminds us, Romans 6.23 says, For all the wages of sin is dead, but the free gift from God is the eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Death is the consequence of sin. And our consequences of our sin was leading us to the death. The eternal damnation. The ultimate separation from God. But my dear brothers and sisters, Christ died for you and me. And he gave us the eternal life as a free gift. How much more we need to worship him. Hebrews 10.10 10 says, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Once and for all we have been made holy. The ultimate sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross has made us holy. And today he portrays us, he shows us as blameless in front of God the Father. What a position that we hold. Remember who we were. Never forget that. Who we were and who God is. Second thing he says is repent. Repent because the sin of forgetting your first love is great. It is very painful for the Lord to know that you have abandoned him. You have not lost him. You have abandoned him. It's a knowing thing that you have done. You have forsaken him. Your offense is against Jesus. In your small or big ministry for the Lord, even without knowing, you can start having idols in your life. You can love your knowledge more than you love Jesus. You can love your musical talent more than you love Jesus. You can love your preaching. You can love your teaching more than you love Jesus. Oh, if you're working, then you can love your job more than Jesus. You can love your money more than Jesus. There can be many idols in our life. The decreasing intensity in our love for Christ is sin. And that is very clear from the scripture. Lack of loving him without our heart, soul and mind is a great sin. And my dear brothers and sisters, if any, was, any one of us in CBF today is having this feeling of getting colder in our relationship, then the scripture says, repent. Repent and ask for forgiveness. And you know what the great thing is if we repent? If we repent, God is faithful. 
God is faithful. John 1 John 1 9 says God is faithful and he will forgive us. If you go with an honest heart, honest repentance in front of him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have forgiven you. I have, I have, I have left you. I have abandoned you. Lord, I'm sorry for that. You know what will happen? Christ is faithful. He will forgive you. Tell him that you have grown cold. Tell him that you have entertained other things in your life. But Father, I want to come to you this morning and say I'm sorry. You know, this warning was for the church of Ephesus, but I'm very sure it has an extended application to each and every one of us. Because we all grow cold in our relationship with Christ. There are days where we'll be in an emotional high, we'll be doing everything, and then there are days nothing. Christ doesn't exist in our life. We take him for granted. We neglect him. The Bible says, repent. Third thing he says, redo. Repeat. You know how to restore your love for Christ? Go back to the time when you were first saved. Go back and do the same things that you did at the beginning. Go back and start again. Do not rely on your past accomplishment, my dear brothers and sisters. Here it says, redo everything what you did at the beginning. But this time, remember that God does not desire just your work. But he desires true love for him. You know, he does not desire just the works that you're doing. He will commend you for that. Good job, he'll say. But he is desiring much more. He's desiring your true love for him. When you read your Bible, you do it because you love him. And you want to know him more. When you pray, you should do it because you love him. And you want to talk to him more. You sing to him because you love him. And you want to praise him more. Practice your faith because you love him and you want to grow in him more. You know, Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 and 8. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 and 8 tells us, Paul is saying that I consider all laws for the sake of Christ. And I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Whatever I have accomplished, I consider all garbage that I may gain Christ. Let's have this prayer when we redo this time things in our life. When we repeat, it is not just the good works, but we do it because we love God. We do it because we want to know Him more. Rest all things that you consider, you should consider as waste, as garbage, as Paul says. And your entire focus should be that I need to gain Christ. I need to know him more. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ is more than anything else in the world. For Paul, that was his focus. So what is the application this morning? So let me ask you four important questions. That will tell you whether this message is applicable for you or not. And you need to answer this to yourself. When you are away in your room, away from anyone else, just ask these four questions. How much do you love Christ in your life? And be very honest to him. How much do you love Christ? Second, are you growing in your love for Christ? Do you see yourself growing every day for, in the love of Christ? Third question that you need to ask is, 
Do you know him more than you knew in the past? When you were saved, now it might be 10 years down the line, the question that you need to ask him, do you know him more than you did in the past? Fourth question is this, and it's the most important question I feel. Do you desire him more than you did in the past? Do you really long for your Savior? Do you really desire him all in all? Do you want him to be present in everything that you do in life? Do you desire your first love? Do you desire Christ in everything that you do? You know, these four questions will actually answer you. Answer the question whether you have grown cold in your relation, whether it's a mechanical relationship that you're having with Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3.10 that I may know Christ. That's his desire. I want to know Christ. I want to know more about him. I want to know him. I want to grasp every reality of Christ. I want to understand every word that he says. When I open the Bible, my desire is to know him more every day. My, under, my desire is that God should speak to me every day. Is that the desire that you have? Do you desire for him? Do you love him? Do you want Christ to be in everything that you do? Let us all in CBF serve the Lord with this genuine, true love that we heard this morning. Let us love the Lord because you want to exalt him, you want to praise him, you want to honor him, you want to proclaim him. And in all this, you want to say, Lord, I do this because I love you. You do everything because you want to make him happy. You know, you don't want, you should, your focus should not be your success in your ministries. The things that you do for Christ, if you're doing it for the approval of the people around you, I think you have failed. I think your focus have gone to the secondary things. Remember I said, it's so easy, the secondary things in your life can become the primary focus of your life. And on this morning, I just want to remind you that be careful, careful of how you live your life. We learned three important things this morning. And I just want to repeat those things so that it remains fresh in our mind. That Christ is the center of the church showing his presence, authority and interest. Christ is in the center of the church. He is the head of the church. And we need to submit to this head. We need to submit to his authority. And he is the source of all growth in our life. Second thing that we learned is Christ commends all the good things in the church, the right beliefs and the right behavior. If you're doing something, Christ is going to take acknowledge for that and he's going to commend you. He's going to bless you for that. But important thing that we need to realize is Christ rebukes the sin that is there, but he also provides hope for the sinner. Leaving, leaving Christ, leaving and abandoning him, uh, forsaking him is a sin. A great sin and there is consequences there is consequences and we will have to deal with the consequences but he's saying if you if you repent I'll be faithful my dear brothers and sisters this Sunday morning I just want to encourage each and every one of you that let us take time to contemplate how our relationship with the Lord is whether we love him or whether we have forsaken him you know it's a very simple question but it's a very deep question that we need to ask. It's a very simple thing that we can ignore. Do you know him more? Do you desire him more? Do you love him more? May his name be glorified. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you.
for this time that you gave us. Thank you, Lord, for spending, allowing us to spend some time from the book of Revelation, the letter to the church of Ephesus, and reminding each and every one of us in CBF that relationship can grow cold if we are not careful. It can become very mechanical. And for some of us in CBF, I do believe that, Father, it has become mechanical. And Lord, we just want to repent. We want to say sorry for taking you for granted, for neglecting you for making the secondary things more important in our life and, and, and taking away from the primary focus that is you. Lord, we pray that you be with us, Lord. You forgive us, Lord. Lord, we remember who we were. We were sinners. We were sinners with no hope. And the ultimate destiny for us was death. But Father, you loved us so much that you gave your only son to die for us on the cross. The Creator himself took the cross, bore our sin and died, rose again on the third day. And Father, because he rose again, Lord, we know that we have an eternal hope that one day he will come and take us home. Lord, we repent for our, repent of our sins. And Lord, we want to redo, repeat with the same enthusiasm that we first began, with the same love, the passion that we had when we first began. But this time we remember that more than works, you desire our genuine true love. And Lord, help all of us in CBF to have the genuine true love for you, Lord. Help us not to forget. Help us not to get through the motions in life and forget who we were and who you are. And Lord, as you have loved us, Lord, we pray that allow us, strengthen us so that we may also love you. That sacrificial love, agape love. We may show you everything. We may give you the due reverence that you are truly deserving of. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. In Jesus Christ's most precious name, I pray.